everybody, welcome to another episode of Beyond Grid with me, Robert Young. So I had a fantastic time this weekend. My son, he's 18 years old, he graduated from uh, Marvin Ridge High on Friday. We had friends and family in town, and uh, we had my wife's um, parents in town, her sister and her uncles. And this was the first time for uh, one of her uncles to be in the Charlotte area. So it was nice being able to show them around um, this this great little town. The weekend weather was perfect. Um, my father-in-law turned 71 yesterday, so that was cool. Um, during his 70th birthday, he was pretty much stuck inside because of the pandemic. So one, it was really nice being able to have uh, family in town which is something um, that we haven't been able to do for quite some time. And um, my daughter came in town. She's uh, going to school over at App State, so she came into town to celebrate his uh, graduation. Um, The weather was fantastic. We pretty much just hung out by the pool. Um, My father-in-law wanted some ribbies for for, uh, his birthday dinner, and I have to say did not disappoint. I crushed it. So um, that was good. Uh, one of the biggest things that uh, we we had was a good conversation. It was a conversation on living wages. And, you know, neither here nor there uh, through the conversation, the one of the things that I wanted to kind of get out and um, be able to share with my kids is the ability to debate and that ability to listen to the other side, the ability to let the other side talk the ability to wait for them to finish and come back and you can tell your point. And one of the most important things is the ability to understand that you're not always 100% right and they're not always 100% wrong. You're not always 100% you know, wrong and they're not always 100% right. There's a lot that falls in the middle. And to be able to respect that other person's view and, you know, we'll start to have them respect your view and understand that you can agree to disagree. Um, I, I think debating in, in our society nowadays is becoming lost and it's becoming aggressive and people are starting to hate other people just because they don't agree with them 100%. And I don't want that to happen. And I don't want that to happen with my kids. And I really want society and people to start um, coming together and having conversations. Um, So today's episode, uh, we are featuring Chef Sam Diminich. And this episode is sponsored by... A champion's shoes. Listen, do you enjoy giving back but haven't found an organization that you are gung-ho about their mission? Well, at A Champion's Shoes, they're giving back to children nationwide and are striving to build champions one pair of shoes at a time. Their mission is to support children who cannot get new shoes to keep up with their growth and sports demands. The feeling of a new pair of shoes and the confidence it delivers is almost impossible to replicate and can have a meaningful impact on a child's life. Children everywhere need new shoes regularly, and the cost of quality kids' shoes has increased, making it even harder to keep up with demand. The shoes may be needed for the start of school, a new sports team, everyday wear, or a meaningful Christmas gift. At A Champion Shoes, they acknowledge that sometimes secondhand shoes are the only option due to lack of support, funds, timing, or any of life's lessons that transpire inside their world. Their goal is to provide 1 million pairs of new shoes to kids by the end of 2026 and know that the trickle-down effect of that impact will be felt throughout communities nationwide. Wouldn't you agree that it's hard to replicate the feeling of sliding on a new pair of shoes, that feeling that you can run faster and jump higher all from some new shoes is real. It can boost a child's confidence, and that may not have been there beforehand. At a champion's shoes, they believe that every kid deserves a chance to feel like a champion, and sliding on a new pair of shoes is a way to accomplish that. Every child they support receives a brand new, brand name pair of shoes with a pair of socks and a handwritten note that reads, We believe you are capable. Go be a champion. If this is a mission you can stand behind, you can donate or refer a child in need at www.achampionsshoes.org forward slash beyond grit 
Or if you'd like to get involved on a more regular basis, you can shoot them a message on Instagram at a underscore champions underscore shoes or Facebook at a champion's shoes. Listen, every kid has the heart of a champion and every kid deserves a champion's shoes. So go on out there and give if you can. So today's guest is Sam Diminich. So Sam was voted 2020 Charlottean of the Year. 2021 Bob Award for Best Chef. He holds that. It was actually the co-chef of the year shared with Paul Verica of the Stanley. He's appeared on the Food Network's Beat Bobby Flay and did just that. He beat Bobby Flay. Launched Your Farms, Your Table in response to the global shutdown. And he's the personal chef to Carolina Panther star Christian McCaffrey. He's the co-leader of the Charlotte chapter of Ben's Friends. And Ben's Friends is an addiction and recovery support group for those in the food and beverage industry. Um, Sam is just a fantastic, welcoming guy. When I sat down with him, we had such a great conversation. Um, The way that Your Farms, Your Table started, it was almost immediately after he was, one, furloughed, and then let go uh, as being the executive chef over at Upstream. And he started having uh, farmers call him looking for his help or looking for his support. And he decided, well, I, I can do a little bit for them. I'm going to start preparing these meals. And what started out as 10 meals an evening has grown to 20, to 30, to beyond. Um, he is a fantastic community leader. He is, he is building something in the food and beverage industry that will support people in need and support people that are struggling with addiction. And he's extremely passionate about that and recovery and to let people know that recovery is possible. So sit back, get a cup of coffee, a hot tea, whatever it is you enjoy, And enjoy the conversation and the chat that I had with Sam Diminich. So today I'm sitting down with Chef Sam Diminich, and he is the owner of Your Farms, Your Table. Um, They work with local farms, um, and they source everything locally and prepare it and then deliver it to your table, which is a really cool concept. Um, Other things, he was voted 2021 Bob Award for Best Chef, and he holds holds that... um, with Paul Verica uh, of the Stanley and Orto. So they're, they're co-best chefs together this year. In 2020, he was uh, voted Charlottean of the Year by Charlotte Magazine. Um, he launched Your Farms, Your Table in March of 2020, and March 23rd to be exact. Um, he's appeared on Beat Bobby Flay, and he did beat Bobby Flay on the Food Network personal chef to Christian McCaffrey, and he is also the co-lead of the Charlotte chapter of Ben's Friends. Um, They are uh, here for support for the food and beverage professionals who struggle with substance abuse and addiction. So very important, um, and that's one thing that he is extremely proud of. So Sam, it's nice to have you today. It's great to be here. So what are you doing now? What's You're like... From 2020 to now has been a whirlwind. So, what are you what are you up to now? Just trying to do the next right thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Are we all? We're living. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think uh, God opens up doors for us, and if we do the footwork to walk through them, we're prepared. Yeah. You know, and right now I'm running your farm to your table. We have a personal chef service for McCaffrey. Take mm-hmm. care of him, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then also we have an events wing. 
I'm okay. also a dad. Yeah. <laughs> I co-chair Ben's friend, Charlotte. Yeah. Um, you know, I have a great girlfriend. Uh, life, my life is, my cup is full, man. Good. Yeah. Good. Great team. Amazing team. How old is your, your, are your kids? 17 and 13. 17, 13. My daughter is 17, getting ready to go off to college. Man, where's she going? UNCW. Okay. All right. She's a beach kid. I've got, uh, I've got one in the mountains. So my daughter is 20 and my son is 18. And, uh, so he's headed off to, um, NC state. So she's a mountain girl. He's like, whatever, you know, he likes NC state. And, uh, but, uh, and you got a dog, don't you? I love my dog. I tell my children all the time. It's my favorite child. Yeah. Yeah. No, I have a pit rescue. Okay. Yeah. And she's our rescue, uh, our adoptiversary was in November. So I have her about a year and a half. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. What yeah. organization did you guys? Uh, the the local um, uh, like what do you call it? Uh, adoption center over there, over there by the airport. Oh, okay. Yeah, the name escapes you right now, but it's it's okay. Uh, yeah, it's the one here in Charlotte. Yeah, we adopted a crazy uh, boxer, boxer rescue of Charlotte. They're great. Yeah, we man. had so it was funny. Uh, our first. Um, experience my my wife wanted to um, foster dogs and we had room we we had lost our one boxer and we had a little uh, Boston Terrier and she's like I want to foster dog so we fostered one finally she talked me into it and um, it was we went to pick it up they said it was a boxer mix and I kind of looked at the picture and I was like that's a pit Mm -hmm. for sure yeah and um, so we went and picked her up and um, she came walking out because she had just been spayed. And I was like, yeah, that's a pit. And we brought her home. And she was, I think my wife cried for a week when we find, when we had to give her up, you mm-hmm. know, for adoption. She was the sweetest thing on the face of the earth. Yeah. Um, just great dogs. Yeah. Great dogs. And such a, like, I think it's such an, um, a re- her story is so relatable, you know, to a lot of what we've got, what we go through, particularly in recovery. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, she, she had, um, you know, uh, she was subject to some choices that weren't really her own. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and stuck in a, in a situation that she couldn't get out of, you know, but she was rescued like a lot of us are and have uh, made the most of her opportunity. Mm-hmm. She's an amazing dog. She loves the car. Um, you know, completely loyal. Yeah. If anything, she will lick somebody to death. Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yep. look super mean doing it. But other I know. than that, man, yeah, she's an angel. Yeah, they're so. They they had their they had their bad time, you mm-hmm. know, and in the media and people never forgave them. And until you have one in your home, um, you don't realize, yeah. you know, what kind of love those dogs have. Yeah, they're, they're amazing. Yeah. Um, so what is your, give me a typical day. Like what time do you get up? What do you do? When do you hit the bed? You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, today I started at 4.30. Yeah. Alarm goes off at 4.30, you know, and um, I'll get up, we'll have coffee, have a few minutes, meditation, prayer, whatever, um, you know, scroll. And then um, I'm out the door to get ready for breakfast for a Christian. Uh, his, he has a home in Mooresville, which is about uh, 50 minutes away. Okay. Yeah. So it was 15 minutes here to the kitchen and then another 50 up the road. Um, so I'll go up there and take care of that. Um, and then I'll return to Charlotte and normally hit the markets. Uh, if I'm going to look for seafood or vegetables, whatever the case may be. Um, and then I'll start to, uh, consider the menu of the day. Um, and the backstory on that is the menu for your farms, your table changes daily based on seasonal availability with the farms and farmers markets. What else is out there? So at that, but so between breakfast and lunch, you know, I'll start to shape out uh, the the menu of the day, and um, you know, which is basically, you know, I have like a a basic template, but it's really not finalized until about twelve or one o'clock. Yeah. So that's that, and then um, you know, and then I'll handle whatever admin I have to take care of. You know, we do a lot of events, so the emails, email box is always full. And uh, as you know, <laughs> and um, so then uh, then it's time to, to get ready for lunch for Christian, and that uh, lunch is served between eleven thirty and twelve. Yeah, you know, and sometimes that's downtown, sometimes it's Morrisville. Okay. You know, and so so that you know so that's significant because if it's downtown, I'm right around the corner. If it's Morrisville, you know, it's it's a two hour process. Yeah. So um, so anyway, so I'll take care of that, and then we'll scoot back here and um, unload whatever I purchased along the way in the morning time, and 
and um, organize and then finalize the menu. You know, and then I'll, I'll coordinate with uh, my general manager on how many meals we have that day, uh, any dietary restrictions, right? Um, or, you know, any special requests, and then we'll move forward. So between 1, 1.30 and um, 4.30, we prep dinner. Dinner served at 5 and it's out the door at 5.30. Uh, from 5.30 to 6.00, I'm prepping Christian's dinner. 6 o'clock, I'm out the door. I'm back in Mooresville. Yep. I serve around 7, 7.30. All right? And so that's, that's about 45 minutes. That's a little bit longer preparation. And then, um, and then we'll wrap up, and I'll head back to Charlotte. I'll either come back to the kitchen or I'll um, head home. Um, and depending on what day it is, sometimes I'll have a Ben's Friends meeting. Mm-hmm. We're still doing that on Zoom. Sometimes I'll go for a run. You know, I think exercise is really important. Is very very important to me, and um, an opportunity to decompress and, and clarify my thoughts, um, and you know, kind of prepare myself for the next day or the, or the coming days. Um, we've been lucky enough in a lot of ways that uh, we've also have uh, quite a busy events wing, you know. So there's that to consider as well. Yeah, there's always something, man. That's huge. Yeah, that a huge day. It is. It is. I get that all the time, and my and um, and. Uh, you know, and sometimes I'll have this, like, this weird response of, like, you know, how is this happening? You know, how do you do all that? You know, what's this all about? You know, right. do you sleep and all that? You know, and my, my like, my response to that, or, you know, what my consideration in that is, um, you know, I get to do what I love to do, you know, and I don't know what you're doing with your life or what you consider what your value system is on, on how you spend your time or what your passion is, but... Uh, this is everything to me and, and, and there hasn't I haven't I have yet to wake up you know and, and feel like doing what I do is a burden mm-hmm. you know or something that I didn't feel like doing that day or um, you know what I mean yeah. or feeling any indifference uh, towards you know where my, my career is taking me you know and very much I feel like I'm on, on, on a ride anyway so right. might as well enjoy it right? right so you you go out and you go to the markets and you pick out the the vegetables and the the meats that you're going to use and you do that personally personally yeah is that something so it's funny and um i can't do the grocery shopping sending it off no nah, i, I can't do it that. i need to see what i'm purchasing is that going to be hard if you ever get so busy that you can't do that or do you think that you'll always keep that part i think i think i'll always keep that um not saying that i won't train yeah you know what i mean or or uh bring other uh, colleagues along, you know, that are in with us here at your farm's your table. I think that's really, really important, you know, but I think that, that like, the, um, what keeps me going, what makes me tick is that emotional connection to food. Right. And so for me to be a, emotionally connected, I got to be able to go down there and pick it out, feel it, have the conversation, understand where, what's the story, what's the story behind these tomatoes or, you know what I mean? Or, or if it's fresh shrimp, what's the story with the shrimp? Like who's the captain of yeah. the boat? Like I, I, it's really deep to me. And so, um, so when I'm armed with that information, um, you know, I, I, I feel like it's, I have a duty to honor whoever grew those tomatoes, whoever was in the boat, you know, whoever's doing the, the, the real dirty work behind the scenes, you know, to, to, you know, offer us and our community, I think these great options, you know, to bring to the table, we still have food and food still brings people together. And, and, and I, I hope and pray that never changes and, um, I'll do everything I can to prevent that. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Did you have that feeling when you were um, coming up and even your role as, you know, the executive chef over at Upstream? Were you that passionate about the food and where it came from or was it a different atmosphere? Well, um, I can answer that like this. So I remember whenever my dad, I worked with my dad in his restaurant, his Italian restaurant. So it was Italian-American. So, um, you know, canned tomatoes and we had romaine and, we had some fresh stuff, but it wasn't like scratch, right, all the time. And I remember my very first job, I worked to go work in this hotel, and um, the chef was French, French trained. And so we were making bread, we were making stock, we were making uh, like, you know, we had peaches in the summertime and tomatoes. And I, I remember just feeling like this is, this is where I'm, this, I think this is where I'm supposed to be. You know what I mean? Like as a kid, like, <laughs> like nothing's really certain and everything is, yeah. you know what I mean? Like. Everything is, is uh, you know, a tad bit dramatic, but I was like, you know, I really felt connected. And so to fast forward uh, throughout my career, I've always worked with closely with farmers, you know, and I've, I've felt um, 
compelled to do that because I thought that, uh, you know, it was, I was in it for me in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? I want my food to taste the best it possibly can. And so, um, to be honest with you in Canada, that, like that was part of the reason, not all of the reason why I would work with farmers. Of course we have relationships and all that. And that's very important to me, you know, but I think, um, you know, 2020 coupled with it being my sixth year of sobriety, I've really, really began to understand and, um, the concept of altruism, um, began to take shape, you know, and how I thought, how I saw things, you know, so whenever, um, your farms, your table, um, began to take shape when I was out at the farms and I would go to the farms and the farmer's markets, I was just blown away at like, at, you know, people like I work hard. These people, this is their life, you know, this is literally their life force. And so they would, you know, so I would spend the day with them on the farm and, and get an example of, um, you know, of what their life was like. And I was really taken aback and I felt compelled to, um, do everything I could, uh, to, you know, to really, really, to nurture our relationships, uh, to support them as much as possible. Obviously, uh, financially was, was a main motivator, but also, um, you know, take the chef out of my role as a chef out of the equation of what I was doing and, and make it more um, community building and in as, as an ambassador, you know what I mean? And so um, my intention was whenever I started the business, I'd be able to cook their foods, whatever they had. That's why we change the menu every day because I don't want to get stuck you know, with the broccoli soup and, and, you know, the farm that I'm trying to support is out of broccoli, but he'll, you know what I mean? But he has collard greens, whatever. So I changed the menu. Um, and that way, uh, you know, I can take the liberty of doing whatever they have available, but, um, but I would be able to tell their story and connect the farms that people may or may not know about, um, with people in the community yeah. on an intimate basis. That's awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. And you know what? I, I love the part of, you know, bringing that community together and supporting the community and, and not just, well, you don't have what I need today. So I'm out, you know, and it overwhelms me and I don't even do it that you can change your menu every single day that I look at, you know, people as that are creative, um, as you're like an artist, you're, you're an artist of your food and you, and you care about it and what you're presenting and you can do it in many different ways. And I'm very singular. Like I, I need to go from here to there. And sometimes I'll branch out a little bit, but I mean, that's, that's great that you have the mind to think like that Mm -hmm. and to change it up. And it's good for business too. Yeah. You know, but the thing about that is like, it's not something I really came up with. It's just something I think that being a part of a, a recovery community, um, you know, not that I was, I was, I was taught that specifically, but it's really, really like, um, you know, we're all, you know, um, you know, just, it, it's just, it's just, it's just in the culture that look, man, life is so much better shared, you know? And, and so I just try to apply those principles to, to, you know, to what I do professionally. Yeah. So give me a little background, um, how you came up in the business. So you're from Myrtle beach area. Mm-hmm. I know that you were heavily restaurant family mm-hmm. um, growing up. Um, how many siblings did you have? I'm one of five, four one sisters. Five. That's what I thought. And, and so you, you came up in this industry. Did you like it from the beginning or was it something you grew into? Yeah. No, I mean, I can't say. I, okay, so my grandfather opened up a, a restaurant in Myrtle Beach in 56. And, um, and he was from Trieste. Okay. He was quite a character from, from, from everything I understand and the stories that I've been told. <laughs> and I uh, met my grandmother. My grandmother was from basically uh, Montgomery County, like, like very country. Okay. <laughs> the sticks, man. The sticks. <laughs> the sticks, yeah. And, um, and so it was, it was, you know, it was like, it was, you know, it was great. I mean, it's a, such a colorful, colorful combination of, of people. And um, so they started the Roma restaurant in 1956. Um, my dad worked in there my uncles worked in there my aunt worked in there and so whenever we came around we were expected to work as well you know and so that's that's what we did and um you know and I can I can remember you know it was a it was in its heyday it was like one of the best you know busiest restaurants in in, in Myrtle and it's in its heyday um you know I can remember getting out of school riding my bike up there you know and before I even got in there you can hear the rock and roll in the, in the kitchen we had a, music was always playing. It's always uh-huh. been a part of 
my life and, and in the kitchen and, and out, but at this where I first heard it there, you know, so there's Rolling Stones and there's Led Zeppelin and Rod Stewart. And, um, and so immediately like, that's so cool. Like I want, I want that, yeah. you know, I need to come in and, and, you know, and all the cooks were, um, you know, just super good at what they did and were laid back and they even drank, like they would drink Coors Lights and crack jokes and talk shit to the staff. You know what I mean? And, yeah. And, um, and then in between tickets, there was a basketball court in the backyard. So they would come back and, you know, if there were six, six employees, it was three on three. If there was four, it'd be two on two. And, and it, you know what I mean? It was, yeah. so it was like, as a, you know, as a, as a kid, as an adolescent, as a, even as a teenager, like that, that, this is so cool. This is rad. Um, so yeah, so I was attracted to it. Uh, did I think I would be doing it for the rest of my life? I didn't at the time. And I, and I, I really, to be honest with you, you know, if, that's one thing I give my dad credit for is um, whenever I graduated high school, I graduated in July. I did, I did the, you know, I skipped the senior year and just took the summer classes, graduated. And, uh, and I remember thinking that I would just surf, you know, I grew up surfing, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and chase girls and, and live on the beach and, and all that. Well, August rolled around. He basically just told me, he's like, look, you're going to culinary school or Georgetown Tech. And I was like, all right, mm-hmm. you know, and, and um, the backstory on that is like, you know, just being a, one of five siblings, you know, they had four sisters and, and they did uh, college visits and they did SAT and all that. I just didn't do it, you know, for a lot of different reasons, but it just didn't happen. And, you know what I mean? So I, I didn't have the direction that, you know, most of my siblings did. And so my dad was like, yeah, there is no way you're going to sit on the beach on my watch, you know, so you're going to, you know, he made a call and he's in the business. So he made a call and, and got me into school out there at or Georgetown Tech. And um, I had no idea what I was doing. No idea what I was doing. I'm pretty sure many, many people told me to pick another occupation, but that's not my style. And uh, <laughs> stuck with it. <laughs> yeah, stuck with it. Oh. And it all worked out. But um, but yeah, no, that was you know that's kind of the background on that. And um, um, yeah, I mean it's it's all I ever knew. Yeah, was was cooking. And uh, they say it's like it's not one of those things you get to choose. It chooses you, and it definitely chose me. Yeah, I don't I don't know how that you would be able to do what you do on a daily basis if you didn't if it wasn't your life if this mm-hmm. wasn't you know all consuming and you enjoyed it and you just did it mm-hmm. you know I mean, works work and, and but to be able to go out there and and begin when you do and get to where you are by the end of the day you you've got to love it you've got to it it it's not work it's just what you do mm-hmm. you know at the end of the day 100% um so you've been in this 30 years? Yeah. It's good. Yeah, I'll be 45 this year. So yeah, maybe 31. Yeah. Give or take. Man, time flies. It does. I can't believe it. I'm going to be 49 this year. I can't believe it. You and I are getting younger though. Oh, yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. That's what I say. So let's, I got a quick off question. Um, so I watched when you were on the taste exchange and you, you made that big ass fish for Christian. Mm-hmm. Did he eat that whole thing? Yeah. I was wondering. I yeah. was sitting there watching. I was like, was that just, that was a big ass fish. Two and a half pound black bass, I think that night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was. It was really cool. Was, you know, and, and he, I mean, he gets into it too. And, and he, and, and he is not, uh, you know, uh, that knowledgeable with food and all that, uh-huh. but he loves the concept of like, you know, of, of working with a fisherman off the coast and veg- local vegetables and, and that being a part of his mind and body connection, you know, to try to improve himself currently, yeah. you know, in, in his football life and post football life. He's really into it. I, I love cooking for somebody like that. Yeah. I mean, nutrition is 100% the, you know, and this is going to be a dumb statement that I say, it's the fuel for your body, mm-hmm. you know, that I look at. It, it would be like taking a race car and putting crappy gas into it mm-hmm. and wanting it to perform. You know, the food that we put into our bodies and the, the liquids and everything keep us going mm-hmm. every day. So I've been, I've always kind of been, you know, in the fitness mm-hmm. and eating well and stuff like that. And I just find it super important. Mm-hmm. And, and even for an athlete, it's even more so, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so let's talk, let's go back to, um, your, um, issues coming up with, um, alcohol mm-hmm. issues. And it, at one point it took you to where you were homeless. Mm-hmm. 
Um, did you did you see when it was starting to happen that you had issues with it, um, and did it recognize it? That, like, what was? How did it happen? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Much. So, you know, first and foremost, like alcoholism and addiction, um, it runs in my family, both sides of my family. So, so there's a genetic conversation to be had there. Mm-hmm. The other part of that is, you know, I was one of five kids. You know, I was the only. I'm the only son. You know, and <laughs> there's more of us than them. You know, it's like we we you know I, you know, a lot of the choices we made earlier were were, you know, we we took advantage of situations and and um. Uh, you know, and got to spend a lot of free time away from the house and all that. And so, um, which is alcoholic behavior, right? Yep. And then, uh, then I, as the other part of that conversation is like coming up in a restaurant, like we did at a time when we did, um, you know, this is, this is like, you're, we're on the cusp of the opioid epidemic, right? You know, and, and where, um, you know, drinking beer or smoking pot or doing really any drug in the kitchen is normalized. And so, you know, I had access to, to all that excess, you know, and, and even um, um, when it came down to, um, you know, rock, you know, drug, sex, rock and roll, all that, you know, at a very young age. And so that was that, you know, those were my tools for living at a very, very young age, you okay. know, and then so couple that with the genetic history. And then also, um, you know, when I was in high school, I got hurt. You know, and, and I had some rotated vertebrae in my neck. And so I was prescribed, you know, I was prescribed pain pills, you know. And so that that's the perfect storm for somebody like me to go off the rails. Well, the one thing about um, alcoholism and addiction, you know, is that it's a progressive disease, you know. And, and so I, I would have moments where I would, at a very early age, where, um, you know, I, I would go off the rails, but I would, I would be able to gather myself back up and, and move forward, you know, I went to the Culinary Institute of America on scholarship, you know, and, and, and um, was a top 13 or 15 student there. You know, I did really, really well, but um, on the outside, right? Yeah, you, know, on the inside you were of, battling it all the way through there. Sure was, yeah, sure was. And, um, and so, you know, so, so basically, like, the red flags have been going up all along, um, you know, but I was able to, um, you know, gather myself together and, 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 and put myself in, in several different positions that appeared to be successful, you know, on the outside, but really, really doing very poorly and dying on the inside. Yeah. And so, um, you know, and, and so the other side of that conversation is this, is that you can't outrun it. I could not outrun it. And I did my very best to outrun it. And, um, you know, so you would think like um, being a college graduate, you know, uh, a married man, a father of two, um, you know, a, a quote unquote talented, talented individual, uh, with all kinds of opportunities to be successful, um, you know, financially, and, um, otherwise personally, and, and all that would be enough, um, you know, to, to corral, uh, you know, the demons that I live with, well, it wasn't, and never was, and it, it never will be, Yeah. you know? And so, yeah. So, um, I, I went to my first treatment center, um, gosh, I think it was 2000, 2001, maybe something like that. And then, um, again, in, in 2004, several trips to treatment centers and detoxes. And then again, in, um, oh, wow, uh, 13 and then again in 14, you know, but throughout, um, 2013 and, and 14, you know, I found myself homeless on the street. I was, I was out there. I was one of those guys that were literally begging for change or, uh, doing what I had to do on a daily basis to hustle, uh, to get what I needed. Man. Mm-hmm. So it's quite a fall. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. You can put a good resume together, mm-hmm. but you know, what's going on deep down in you, that's, that's the truth. Mm-hmm. And what, um, what snapped in 14? I mean, what, what was the, the point? Was it, was it you that you made a decision or did you find somebody that helped you? No, I just didn't want to die. Yeah. I didn't want to die. And that's a, that's a whole another podcast. It's a whole other story. But, you know, to sum it up is, is, is this really, it was like, I was, um, um, I was just putting myself in positions that were very, very dangerous, you know, and I've had, I've had one too many <laughs> or four too many close encounters with not coming back, okay. you know, with, with, with just not being alive. And so, uh, so 
getting sober was not on my agenda. Getting out of those positions that I kept putting myself was on the agenda. You know, I didn't think after all these years, after all those years, um, you know, of trying and failing that, um, that sobriety or a God of my understanding would be in the cards for somebody like me. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, so anyway, so yeah, so I went away, I went away to treatment really just to, just to, um, you know, relieve myself of those current circumstances and be on the streets hard, man. It's, it's really hard. It's, I saw a lot of things and, and experienced a lot of things and, um, you know, it's just, it's, it was, it's traumatizing in, in a lot of ways. And so, um, so I went to treatment. Yeah. I went to treatment at a place called any length recovery community in Sumter, South Carolina. And, and like I said before, I didn't, I didn't think I could get sober. I just thought I would, I would be institutionalized, you know, and I was, it, it, it's, it's, it's really, really, it's hard for, I think for people to understand because of what they see now, yeah. what it was like then. But, but, um, I, I was literally, I was seeing things, I was hearing things. Um, that weren't there, that weren't being said. And, um, and so, you know, all that combined with, with coming off of um, detoxing off, you know, all the hard drugs. If, if, if there's a hard drug, hard drug that you're thinking of right now, I was taking it, yeah. you know, as well as alcohol. And um, so it was, it was, it was, it was just a, uh, a period of about six months to where I just had no hope, you know, and being able to, you know, find a place in this thing we call life. And, um, you know, but something miraculous happened and, and, and being hopeless is part of it, you know? And so, um, about six months into my stay there, uh, I bottomed out, you know, and, and I, I truly hit rock bottom. And, and I, and, and what I, what I'm saying that because there was no drugs or drink in my system. There was, I had not had a drug or drink, um, you know, in six months. And that blew my mind because I thought drugs and drink were the problem. Right. And so then, and only then, was I prepared and uh, honest enough with myself to say, okay, fine, let me give this thing a shot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Whatever you guys are talking about, I'll try it. You okay. know, and, and so that was a huge turning point in my life, and um, it's never been the same since. You know, and, and I got to say this too. It's like there's, there's, you know, I was in a place in, in South Carolina, um, you know, that uh, is run by people that are in recovery. There weren't psychologists. There was no doctors involved. You know what I mean? Like there was none of that. It was, it was exactly what I needed when I needed it. And so those people, because they had the experience and the pers- you know, they had perspective yeah. on, uh, and what they were witnessing, um, you know, they had their arms wide open and, um, you know, and, and prop me up, you know, and, and walk me through the sobriety, the, the process, the early process of recovery. Yeah. I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. I think about it every day, every single day. I bet. Mm-hmm. You never want to go back there. Oh, no. <laughs> nope. I sure don't. I sure How'd don't for a lot of reasons place? because that's a very, very difficult, <laughs> that's a difficult place to get sober. <laughs> yeah. And you really have to work hard. And uh, so I don't think I have another trip down there in me, which is oh. licensed enough for many, many days. <laughs> Not that I think about using drugs or drinking anymore. Yeah. Um, to stay sober, you know, and to try to be better. Yeah. It's funny. We laugh about that all the time. Like that's, that's, but that's the point of the program is like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, here, this is, this is, it's, you know, the ball's in your court, man. You know, it's up to you, you know, to be accountable towards yourself and, and honest and, and, um, you know, and see what you can make of this thing. So when did you start? So when did you, uh, my wife's going to yell at me. I always say so, so, so when did you, um, Start with Ben's friends. So I had been so okay. So Ben's friends, <clears throat> Ben's friends was founded by Steve and Mickey down in Charleston, um, and so Ben Murray was a colleague of theirs who was struck. So Steve and Mickey are two sober individuals, both in the, our business, uh, and they had a colleague Ben Murray. Ben Murray they thought was sober, wasn't, um, had some mental health issues, and 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 had relapsed to the best of my knowledge, had relapsed and, and had been in and out of um, sobriety for some time. He wound up taking his own life, right? And so, um, which was very, very difficult uh, under any circumstances. But uh, I think, you know, what needs to be emphasized here is that, you know, Ben and Steve were working together under the same roof, same days, very similar schedules, you know, but there was, there was a gap there, Right. And, and understanding the situation and, and um, you know, a certain level of transparency. But, but mainly it was, it, was a, it was a situation where it was like, you know, it was a blind signing effect. 
So then that leads to questions like, how, how can this happen? How can we prevent it to happen again? Mm-hmm. You know, and so, um, you know, what we had to face, what they had to face and what we still face, you know, is, is having um, an opportunity and a responsibility to change the conversation of substance abuse and mental health and food and beverage, you know, because, because um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, drugs, drinking, um, sexual harassment, um, you know, all of that uh, have been normalized for years, you know, and, and so what dawned upon those guys down in Charleston was like this business that we love, food and beverage and cooking and serving and taking care of people has been so good to us been very very good to me it's been so good to us what can we do to give back you know and help change the conversation the work culture in the future for other people like us yeah you know, that want to do this but also want to stay sober as well why do you think it's so prevalent in this industry well i i, I think we're a band of misfits in a lot of ways and i think that um so that's <laughs> that's part of it and uh and i mean i mean that in the most endearing oh, way no, right I got endearing it. way and um you know, and I think you couple that with, um, you know, it's an imbalanced life that we lead. You know, obviously I reviewed my schedule with you earlier. Yeah. That's not fucking normal. Yep. There's nothing normal about that. I asked my girlfriend about it and, um, and she'll tell you, you know, but, um, uh, so there's a, you know, so there's an imbalanced life there. And then of course, you know, for many, many years, decades, um, you know, we found ourselves in situations where it's like you work all day. You get off work and you and and you are uh, you're you're jacked, you know. So what is there to do at one o'clock? What is there to do at two a.m.? What is there to do after the shift? Yeah, you know. And um, you know, and so for people like me who are bodily different, you know, uh, and I'm referring to being an alcoholic and an addict. Um, it's uh, it's a deadly combination, you know. And we've seen it time and time again. Um, and you know, and, and that's that's only the conversation. That's there's a larger conversation to be had about that, about, you know, people that struggle with other mental health issues other than alcohol, alcoholism and addiction. But, um, you know, what we would like to do, what we'd like to see in a perfect world is, um, you know, create a sustainable environment for people to join our, you know, our, our community, our food and beverage community, you know, and, um, you know, find a safe, secure and open-minded um, oper- uh, workplace, right. you know, that would be fulfilling as well. Right. Do you see changes happening? Oh, yeah. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Good. How many people are on your staff? I have uh, between, it, it kind of fluctuates between 8 and 10, 8 to 12. Okay. You know, we have, we do events. So there's, there's, um, have staff members that join us for events as well that are not here on a daily basis. Okay. Yeah. Man, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, and so, so I don't know if you know this or not, but like whenever we started this thing and, and kind of put, um, it began to take shape, um, when, when I was in, when I was in early recovery, I had to go get a job and I had to work. And so, um, uh, you know, so I, I found places to work, you know, that were welcoming and, and I felt very safe and secure about, um, being in early recovery and, and trying to figure out these tools for living that, um, I didn't know before, you know? And so when your farms, your table began to take shape, I wanted to provide, uh, a safe haven for people to come in and work in early recovery. So many, many people that work for me are in recovery uh-huh. uh, in the early stages of recovery. And, and it's, um, you know, we, we wanted to build a, a culture around, um, you know, being inclusive and uh, safe and security, um, livable wage, you know, and, um, you know, and also, uh, you know, just be a, 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 an excellent opportunity in this phase of a person's life, you know, to, uh, to learn how to show up and be accountable and, and do it um, a different way. Work together, yeah. Was it scary going back into this industry again? Yeah, I didn't think I would do it. Oh my God. I don't know how you did it, mm-hmm. really. I mean, from the outside looking in. Um, Here's how I did it, though. Yeah, let, let you all know. Yeah, this is how I did it. So, so it was one of those things where I'd struggled with sobriety all my life. Um, and whenever I would attempt to gain sobriety or long term sobriety, uh, I would always put um, work first, my children, my family, the money I made, you know, and then sometime, and then some, somewhere down below all that was sobriety, you know, and the effort and the work I would do to remain sober on a daily basis, mm-hmm. right? Sober equity, as I refer to it, 
often. Um, you know, and so what I had to do was just flip the script on all that, make sobriety my number one priority, no matter what. You know, and and once I did that, uh, you know, and uh, put some time invested um, into reprioritizing how I viewed my personal life and and you know what worked for me. Everything changed, man. Everything yeah. changed, and, and and including how I cooked and how I saw food and and, and you know my my work performance and. Uh, as well as I would, I would hope my children would say as my my parenthood as well. Yeah, I'm sure that they were pretty excited to have mm-hmm. dad back. Yeah. Um. So, what? What's going on? Where's your? So we're gonna go. We'll kind of journey off that. What's your future look like? <laughs> where, where do you want to see yourself and your business? And do you have? different passions of what you want to, to happen, you know, what, where, where's your journey? Where do you see yourself five years from now? Um, still from, from the moment that I started this, I wanted to be community based. Um, so, and we still are. So the question is, how do we, um, become, um, a larger presence, you know, between our suppliers, ourselves and our, the people that we cook for our clients. And so that's, that's the number one goal right there, you know, and, and we've, we've tossed around a lot of different ideas on, on what your farm show table will look like, you know, in the future, um, whether it be, we package this thing up and take it to another city and, and set the, something up similar, you know, remain here and, and open up a restaurant, um, you know, that will help support local suppliers and, and make that connection that I speak of. Um, and also, um, you know, it's what's near and dear to my heart because of my time, uh, as a homeless person, would be to open up a 5013C wing. I hope I said that correctly. Um, you know, and be able to harvest a lot of the crops and stuff that don't make it to market, which is su- surprisingly significant, right? Yeah. And to, and to bring it, to be able to bring it back here to the kitchen, um, you know, and engineer a program to where, you know, we could take um, previously incarcerated persons, uh, the, 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 foodstuffs that we got from the farms and far, uh, marketplaces that are not sellable, you know, and be able to engineer meals for people that um, are underprivileged here in their area. It seems like you would be able to find a lot of support for that. Mm-hmm. Have you have you started branching out looking for that, or is that something like on the horizon? The horizon. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Trying to get everything solidified here. Yeah. That's good. So what do you do... Outside of the kitchen, you like music. Mm-hmm. My wife asked me. She was like, "You like band of horses? You love band, band of horses. horses? Love band of horses." It's funny. We went to uh, we we saw them. We saw them a bunch of times when we lived in Michigan. Uh-huh. And like stage. One thing I like about them is I've seen them at smaller venues. And we went to the Fillmore here, and we were leaving. I don't know what the second band was, but we were leaving, and there was this bus, and we saw. Um, his lead guitarist, super tall guy. So, and we're still kids. We we're like 35, and we swiped the set list. So we had the set list from their uh, concert, and we were we were leaving, and we started talking to the guitar player, and he's like, "Oh, hold on a second. And uh, he went around, and he was looking for Ben, and uh, he found Ben, and Ben came over and got a picture, you know, with my wife. That's and, awesome. It was cool. It was cool. But music, you love music. Love music. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, you know, my, my mom listened to Motown. She was from the north. Uh-huh. I grew up in the south. She was from the north. She loved Motown and, um, you know, and, and, you know, the Marvin Gaye and the Otis Redding and all that. Yeah. And so, um, Aretha. Yeah. And then my dad was, I mean, like, it was like the Rolling Stones were a religion in my family, you know. And so, um, so the older I got, um, I wanted to know you know, who made their music, you know, so got into the blues. And then, um, you know, I, I, I love the Grateful Dead, huge Grateful Dead fan. Um, you know, but, but there's no genre that I, I really can't find time for, to be honest with you. Yeah. And so, yeah, so there's always something playing in the back back there. Do you play anything? I don't play anything. No. I just have tattoos of musical instruments. Yeah. Everybody thinks I do. Yeah. <laughs> I, I go to Starbucks. Every time I go to Starbucks, it's like, oh, man, cool tattoo. Do you play? I'm like. I just drink coffee and listen to music, yeah, man. <laughs> I, listen to it. I like it. I like it a lot. What else do you do? 
Uh, I'm always, if I'm not, when I'm not working, uh, I'm outdoors to some degree. I need that space. Yeah. We got to open up, you know, and, and so whether I'm hiking, um, surfing, skateboarding, snowboarding, hanging by the pool. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what we're doing. Grilling out, you know, I, I still cook every day if I'm here or if I'm not here, cooking every day. Um, we did just plan a trip to Puerto Rico, what I'm really psyched about. My daughter's going to graduate high school, and so that's her gift. You know, and I, I love, cool. we talked about parenthood, right? You yeah. know what I mean? And so it's one of those things where it's like, how can I impact my children? Um, you know, they have, their needs are met, you know, in so many ways. We have, we have my, uh, their mom's family's great. You know, my family's great to them. And, and so we, I try to provide experiences, you know, and connect you know, on, a, yeah. on a personal level with them. You know, while we're while we're while we're doing wherever we are doing whatever whatever it is we do, whether yeah. we rented a cabin up in the mountains uh, last August and got away, and and so this summer we'll be in Puerto Rico for a week surfing Rincon and and um you know and, and getting on a boat and doing some fishing and stuff like that. It's such a limited time period, and everybody needs to know that that's listening with young kids. It's so short it is. of period that you have with them, and then all of a sudden they're. They're grown, they're grown, they're adults. Um, one thing I didn't touch on, and I want to kind of get back, it was a good conversation, make sure we have time, we got a couple more minutes. But the way that, how you shifted so quickly during the COVID incident. Mm-hmm. So you were furloughed, and within days, you turned around and you created your farms, your table. Is that something that you had in the background that you had, were thinking about forever, or is it something that you just saw an opportunity and boom, jumped on it? Yeah, no, that's a, that's, that's a great question. And, and my answer is almost like three parts. So first of all, it's like, you know, getting sober and staying sober and being connected, like, like connected, connected, connected to the community. Um, you know, I felt supported, you know, and I found answers. Ben's friends, um, I'll say it as long as I can say it, man. Ben's friends, you know, we went on, um, when, when COVID went down and we had to shut down, we went on this national Zoom meeting every day at one o'clock. And so I wound up finding myself um, going to more meetings than I, than I had in years, you know, and, and um, you know, because we could do it anywhere. And then on top of that, you know, I was hearing answers and solutions to questions I had not even asked myself yet. You know, and so, um, so all of this is like, this is like super valuable and it's, um, you know, you're, you find yourself in one of the most difficult times of my life, um, you know, with uh, all this opportunity to be hopeful and optimistic. And, and then, of course, you know, the foundation of sobriety to me is the formula that I live by is, you know, get out of self, you know, get out of self-pity, get, you know, out of, um, you know, that negative inner dialogue that we sometimes find ourselves with um, and into service and help somebody else out. You know, and not that any issues that I have are to be swept under the rug or disregarded or um, minimized, but but almost every single time I've been able to apply that philosophy to my life, my issues that I have are suddenly right-sized and more manageable. And so that's that's what happened. That week, um, you know, I, I felt a lot of different things. I, was ang- I felt anger. I felt shame because I'd already lost everything once. Yeah. You remember? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was on the street, so that's, I didn't, so what I was feeling in wasn't dissimilar to how I felt whenever I showed up to any length recovery community, even though my life had changed in so many ways. It was still one of those things where I was like, God damn, you know, I've already been through this. I'm not doing this again. And, and so I vowed to myself that I would do whatever I had to do to prevent, um, you know, I can't look my kids in the eye and, and tell them that, you know, I can't, you know, I can't cover your Invisalign or, you know, any, like yeah. any, any of the circumstances. I, I've already been there. I'm not going back. And then, um, and then I got a phone call. This is really important from Isaac from Harmony Ridge Farms. And, and he called me and Isaac's one of the soft spoke, most soft spoken, um, humble guys I've ever met in my life. And, you know, he just didn't know what he was going to do. Right. He just lost 26 wholesale accounts all over Charlotte because the restaurants were shut down. You know, and he already has a season of crops. You know, yeah. this is his life force. He has a season of crops that he doesn't know what he's going to do with. And he has crops in the ground. You know, so what's going to happen next? Um, you know, and I said, damn, let me do this. Let me just come to you and, and, and buy whatever I can. Not that I'm going to support you for the season, but right. let me just buy whatever I can. Um, and take it back to my house. And, and um, I'm an engineer of three-course menu, just like restaurant week. Right, three courses, thirty yep. bucks. I ripped that off wholeheartedly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shameless, shamelessly. 
I rip that off. And so um, uh, if I do 10 meals a day, um, you know, I can, I can spend money on you and I can pay my bills and take care of my children and until upstream open, opens back up, you know? And so, um, so that's how that happened. And, and that's how that happened so quickly. It's just the stars lined up, man. Like I mentioned, whenever you have another podcast, I think if you do the legwork, God opens up doors for you, you know, then you're ready to walk through them. You're prepared yeah. to walk through them. And so that was, a, that was an opportunity for me. I didn't see it like that. You know, I gotta be honest with you, you know, I'm, I'm full of fear. I don't know what's going to happen next. You lived it. Yeah. You remember what it was like then, like, that, uh, you know, uh, one day it's going to be over and then the next day we have six more months, man. You know, so all I'm trying to do is just stay in the moment, uh, help somebody else out and, 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 you know, and try to make it. Yeah, no, that's a great, that's a fantastic attitude to have about it. And it's so funny that you, you don't realize the impact that you had until everything kind of happened. And then you're like, oh, all I wanted to do was put some, you know, food on the table. I knew what I could do and pay some bills, and then it kind of took off from yeah. there. I, you know, and I think it was, it was done um, out, of, out of your soul and not out of how can I profit and make something out of this, you yeah. know? And, yeah. and that'll come. That always comes with what you produce and how you produce it and what you do, and the growth will come. And I'm 100% on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that's great. Yeah. And now we're, here we are, we're, we're doing this podcast sitting in this, this state of the art kitchen that yes. we moved into and, and I'm on, this is my third kitchen. We've moved in here to a small place quickly. I grew that one and now we're in kitchen number three. Yeah. I, I don't know if I said this or not, but we started my apartment, which is crazy. <laughs> I can't believe <laughs> it. was crazy, man. You know. And, um, so anyway, so yeah, so here we are in number three and, um, uh, you know, this, that doesn't go unnoticed to me on a daily basis. Like, you know, my, uh, you know, even privilege, we want to talk about that, like, um, uh, you know, my position, the ball has bounced my way several times, and I'm, I'm conscious of that, but I'm, I'm saying that to, to let you know and, and whoever's listening know that I'm more, we are more emboldened than ever, you know, to give back to our community, whether it be through Ben's friends or, uh, you know, charitable causes or, um, you know, just from one heart to another. Yeah, no, that's great. It, it's it's good, you know, that I found you and I found you from a friend on social media and we've had meals um, from you delivered to our house. Like, oh, great. Almost in the beginning, you know, our friend Melanie Bland, she was the one that turned us on. Are you down there? Yeah. There? Oh, cool. Yep. What's that? Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah. So we were down. So Melanie got us hooked on to you and then we've done it and then uh, I just kind of watched you know, you grow. And I was like, yeah, you know, I want to talk to Sam. Yeah. She's an OG, man. Yes. No, yes. no, I owe you some, I owe you some, um, some miso vinaigrette. It's yeah. Coming. <laughs> <laughs> like that. Like that. All right. Um, how do people find you? Yeah. Your farms, your table.com at chef, Sam Timonich on Instagram. Uh, and then at your farms, your table on Instagram as well. We have a, new, a relatively new page, but we're trying to migrate, um, you know, my followers over that to that page as well. So, um, so yeah, we're easily accessible. Okay. Yep. And then people that are looking, um, for help, how do they find Ben's friend? Oh yeah. Ben's friends, hope.com. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, if, uh, if you're, man, if you're out there and, and you're server curious or, um, you know, uh, you know, if you feel challenged walking into any type of meeting, send me a message on Instagram. Um, uh, and I'll, I'll respond to it and then we'll, we can go from there. We have an army of people that are here to help out. So Perfect. Love it. Thanks, man. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you. Hey, everybody. This episode of Beyond Grit with Robert Young was sponsored by A Champion's Shoes. Do you enjoy giving back but haven't found an organization that you're gung-ho about their mission? Well, at A Champion's Shoes, they're giving back to children nationwide and are striving to build champions one pair of shoes at a time. Their mission is to support children who cannot get new shoes to keep up with their growth and sports demands. The feeling of a new pair of shoes and the confidence it delivers is almost impossible to replicate and can have a meaningful impact on a child's life. 
Children everywhere need new shoes regularly, and the cost of quality kids' shoes has increased, making it even harder to keep up with demand. The shoes may be needed for the start of school, a new sports team, everyday wear, or a meaningful Christmas gift. At a champion shoes, they acknowledge that sometimes secondhand shoes are the only option due to lack of support, funds, timing, or any of life's hard lessons that transpire inside their world. Their goal is to provide 1 million pairs of new shoes to kids by the end of 2026 and know that the trickle-down effect of that impact will be felt throughout communities nationwide. Wouldn't you agree that it's hard to replicate the feeling of sliding on a new pair of shoes, that feeling that you can run faster and jump higher all from new shoes is real. It can boost a child's confidence that may not have been there beforehand. At a champion's shoes, they believe that every kid deserves a chance to feel like a champion, and slipping on a new pair of shoes is a way to accomplish that. Every child they support receives a brand new, brand name pair of shoes with a pair of socks and a handwritten note that reads, We believe you are capable. Go be a champion. If this is a mission you can stand behind, you can donate or refer a child in need at www.achampionsshoes.org forward slash beyond grit. Or if you'd like to get involved on a more regular basis, you can shoot them a message on Instagram at a underscore champions underscore shoes or Facebook at a champion shoes. Listen, every kid has the heart of a champion and every kid deserves a champion shoes. Now go out there and help them. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Beyond Grit with your host, me, Robert Young. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. Tell somebody about it. You can find this podcast on all major podcast platforms. And be sure to tune in every Wednesday for another exciting success story of somebody going beyond grit. Until then, take care.